Welcome, welcome, welcome to you. My name is Trevor, and I'm the lead pastor here at Risen. It's so good to have you here with us this afternoon, this morning. If you have a Bible, would you join with me in opening up to John chapter 1? John chapter 1. And as you are opening up to John chapter 1, let me just give you a, a few words of hopefully encouragement and maybe an excitement. We are just two weeks away from moving out of the sun and into uh, an indoor facility, which for you all, most of you all are shaded. As you can see, I'm really the one suffering on your behalf this morning. Uh, we'll be inside in a couple of weeks at Olympic High School. And I hope you're excited about that. You will no longer have to bring your own chairs. We will have chairs for you. And it will, we hope, we believe that we'll be able to create um, intimacy as a church. We'll be able to see better, hear better, and hopefully we'll be able to worship the Lord together in a new way. In addition to that, we have got toddler ministry right on the horizon. We are working on our nursery ministry as well. And uh, in addition to that, we've got men's ministry that's been going, but I assure you ladies who are hungry and thirsty for the Lord through women's ministry, women's ministry is coming. Is anyone excited about that? Any other women excited about that? I'm, I'm surprised I did not get a larger response from you ladies. We are working hard on women's. We historically as a church have had a great women's ministry, um, and we have just done a bunch of men's ministry stuff re recently, and the women's ministry, like I said, is hard at work uh, getting ready to relaunch that. So we're just very excited about where we're headed as a church. So you ought to know that those things are coming. All right, we are in a, uh, a new three-week series, and I, I really am preaching to you from the heart this morning, because our new series is on church culture, and I want to talk about the culture of our church, and I want to talk about where we're at, and I want to talk about where we need to go, and so we're launching a new series this week, next week, and the week after are all about thinking about our church culture and three shifts that we want, I want us to become in order for us as a church to faithfully serve God the way that I believe the Lord has called us to. And so the title of the series is on church culture. It's about our church culture. And much like Wes Turnbow said a moment ago, Many of the things we are seeking to be about as a church are things that every church that believes in Jesus and believes the gospel wants to become. But our church must get good at a few things that I feel like we are not as good as we need to be at. And my goal in the next three weeks is that we would be challenged so that a year from now we might be able to see these things come to life in us. And let me just give you an outline of the next three weeks. This, this week, this morning, I'm going to talk about becoming a culture of invitation. A culture that invites people into the way of Jesus. Next week, we're going to talk about a culture of discipleship. Not, not a church where we consume a sermon and where the only discipleship happens is on Sunday morning, but a, a culture of discipleship. And then Third, the third week we'll talk about becoming a culture of service. Now, I know that when I use that term culture, you hear different things. It's a hard-to-define word. I'm using it 
specifically in this way. I'm, I'm talking about the, the customs and the beliefs and practices of a particular people in a particular time and place. Namely, I'm talking about the way we, as a church, practice our faith in 2022, 2023, and beyond. And that I want to see our customs, our beliefs, our practices change in these three areas. Invitation, discipleship, and service. And so this morning, we're going to talk about becoming a church that is a culture of invitation. Now when I say invitation, I am alluding to a longer word that you are probably familiar with. And that word is evangelism. But evangelism is a scary word. Evangelism is a word that is in today's culture, is not always celebrated by everyone. Fewer people, it seems, want to identify as evangelicals. And while we may see evangelism as a good thing, that belief isn't shared amongst everybody, certainly not amongst those in our world today. Yet, we must become a church that has a reputation for when you encounter us, we are going to invite you into relationship with Jesus. We must become a culture of invitation. Look, I get it. Evangelism is hard. It's hard because for many of us, we do not want to be honest or expressive about our Christian faith lest we be rejected by those that we are sharing our faith with. Some of us are afraid that if we talk about our Christian faith, we will be mocked. We will be mistreated. We'll be seen as stupid. We'll be seen as strange. Maybe some of us are just afraid that if we're honest about our Christian faith, that, that people are going to say, oh, you're one of those kinds of people. And we'll be lumped in with the crazies. And so for a whole host of reasons, the desire to be forthright about our Christian faith, to be a people who are evangelizing. And by evangelizing, that word evangelism or evangelizing emerges out of the Greek word euangelion, which is the word for gospel. So euangelion becomes evangelism, evangelical, right? To be a good news bringer, not just to here, but to the nations. To be a person who has good news in their heart and their mind and is sharing it with the world, that's way harder than it has been for many of us historically. Amen? I recognize that it's difficult. There's an organization called Barna, the Barna Group. The Barna Group does research on Christian beliefs, behaviors, customs, practices, and the like, and the culture. And they ran a survey just a few years ago that found that 47% of Christian millennials, that's me, that's my generation, 47% of Christian millennials believe that it is sometimes wrong to share your faith. 47, almost half of millennials are not so sure that proselytizing is a good thing to do. That maybe we ought not to tell those who don't know Jesus about Jesus. Maybe we should not do that. 
And we've seen the fruit of that. And I worry about our city. I worry about your neighbors. I worry about your coworkers. I worry about my family members. And I worry about whether or not they know Jesus. So this morning we're going to talk about becoming a culture of invitation. If you have your Bible, I invited you to open up to John chapter 1. We'll look at a text that maybe you're familiar with, maybe you're not, but I hope you see it this morning with fresh eyes. God has a word for us this morning. And if you struggle with evangelism, I believe that God will speak to you through this passage. Let those who have ears hear. This is God's word in John chapter 1. We're going to read verses 43 through 46. This is the word of God. Hear it as such. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. This morning, as we look at this text in greater depth, here's what I'm going to say to you, brothers and sisters. If we are going to create a culture of invitation, there are three things that we need. And I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to soften it for you. I'm going to be real direct with you. You need all three of these things. Each one of you in our church must be about these three things. And if you're not, if you only have one of three or two of three, it's not going to cut it. It's not enough. So this morning as we move through this text, and you'll see all three of them in the text we read, I want you to do not leave this morning without recognizing which one of these or two of these or all three of these do you need because we need all three if we are going to create a culture of invitation. Are you with me? Okay, good. Here we go. These are the three things that we need. First, we need the motivation to be a people of invitation. So that first word is motivation. We need motivation. The text we just looked at is a text about Philip going and reaching out to Nathaniel. It's about Philip inviting Nathaniel. But the larger context is really about Jesus inviting disciples. In this specific text, you see in verse 43 the key to Philip inviting Nathanael. What is it? Look, look at verse 43 with me. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said, follow me. What is the key 
for Philip to invite Nathaniel. It's the motivation that comes from having being invited to Jesus himself. Jesus must be our motivation. Here's what I know about you. If you find something life-changing, you share it. Now, if you find a quicker way to get from point A to point B in Los Angeles, maybe you don't share it because you don't want everyone else to know about that new route. I get it. If you purchase something that you like, you're likely to tell someone about it. If you purchase something that you love, you're almost guaranteed to tell someone about it. But if you meet something or experience something that has changed your life, you are guaranteed to share it with others. Friends, if you have met Jesus, you didn't just find a new way of being. You went from death to life. If you know Jesus, you went from darkness to light. If you know Jesus, you found life and light and love in abundance in him. If you know Jesus, you've been forgiven of your sin. If you know Jesus, you have hope now and forever. If you know Jesus, your whole life should be different. And if you meet Jesus and you know him, it will change everything for you. But if you're not motivated to share Jesus, it's probably because you've never really met him. The great preacher uh, Charles Spurgeon once famously said, if you have no desire to share Jesus, it's probably because you don't know him yourself. I mean, how could you? How could you keep this news a secret? Ephesians 2 says, I, I was dead in my sins and my trespasses, and then I was made alive by God in Christ. It's the best news in the world, and it's been given to you. I'm sorry, we don't have the best coffee in, in the world. We don't have the best easy-ups. We don't have the best sound system. We don't have the best camera or the best live stream. There's lots of things we don't have the best of here. But we have the best news in the world. And that's what God has given us. What motivated Nathaniel was that he met Jesus. Jesus said, come and follow me. And when he met Jesus, he encountered life in and of himself. He met God face to face. He knows God. There are some of us, and certainly many people in our world, who give lip service to Jesus. To be a Christian is not, hear me, to be a Christian is not someone who just calls yourself a Christian. It's not to be a person who shows up to Sunday occasionally or checks in at community group. It, it's not to go through those things. Those, those things really do matter. Don't mishear me. A Christian is someone who has Christ as their Lord and Savior. Someone who has Christ as their Lord. 
They follow him. They obey him. They listen to him. And their savior, he has rescued them and forgiven them. He has taken your heart of stone and he has replaced it with a heart of flesh. So that you have learned, if you're a Christian, you are learning and have learned to hate your sin and to love the things of God. If you don't hate your sin and love the things of God, I don't know that God lives in you. But if you do, if you are learning to hate your sin and love the things of God, you can be sure that God lives in you by His Spirit. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who entrusts their whole life to Jesus. In my home, I do most of the driving. My wife doesn't really love my driving. But she likes driving herself even less. So I will sometimes get a request from her. Hey, I'm going to this, uh, I'm going to this shop, going to this store. You want to come? I know what this is about. You want me to drive? She would say yes. But regularly when we are in the car driving, I will be driving and I will hear her go, <gasps> and I'm always like, you don't, I don't know that you love me driving. She'll be like, well, I like driving even less than you driving. Some of you call yourself a Christian, but you are not letting Jesus drive. Now, now, here's the thing. The reason you're not letting him drive is because you don't love his driving. You're not sure that you want to go where he wants to take you. But you ought to like your driving even less. A Christian is not someone who says, Jesus, come into my life. Hop in the back seat. I've got a great plan for my, my, my life. I know where I'm going. Would you just sit back there and bless me? No. A Christian is someone who says, Jesus, take over the car, get in the driver's seat, and I will hold on to you, believing and trusting that where you are going and taking me is better than I would go myself. And that means in the way that we treat our finances, that means in the way that we treat our wives and our husbands, our children, that means everything in our life is submitted to Christ. Everything. There isn't a square inch of your life that Christ doesn't get to say, that's mine now. Brothers and sisters, don't mishear me. You may struggle with letting it go. But you must let it go. You must allow God by his spirit to win that battle. Invited people invite people. Let, let me ask you this morning. Are you motivated to invite people to follow Christ? Do you believe that you've got the best news in the world? Have you met Jesus? No, no, no. Not do you know a lot about Jesus. Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, Jesus, I did all these things in your name. And Jesus says that he will reply, depart from me, for I never knew you. You knew about me, but you didn't know me. People who just know about Jesus aren't motivated to share Jesus. 
You know what motivated Philip? He met Jesus. His life was changed. You have to be motivated. Some of you, your biggest problem is you're not motivated because you haven't met Jesus. Do you know life and love and light and hope? Do you know God? It's not enough just to be motivated. It's a great start. I hope you see that that's an essential ingredient, but it's just a start. Secondly, you need relationships. Right? No good to be motivated if you don't have anyone to share your faith with. You need relationships. Look again at verse 45. It says in verse 45, Philip found Nathanael. Not bumped into. Philip knew Nathanael. I'll show you more about that in a second. Philip went and meet. Look at this. This is so good. He got excited. He met Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. And he probably didn't take a few steps before he said, wait a second. I know someone who doesn't know you. And they got to know about you. Philip found Nathanael. You can't be motivated to share your faith if you got no one to share it with. One of the great challenges for me as a pastor, I spend a lot of time with Christians. Way too much time with Christians. If you look at my calendar, it's just me and Christians all the way through. And as I was prepping for this sermon, I was convicted. Because I just, I love y'all. I spend a lot of time with you. You got to know, when you first come and meet Jesus... Not all of you, because some of you, it's in your family. But for those of you who meet Jesus for the first time, you come to faith, and all you know is non-Christians. And then what happens is, for very good reasons, you start to spend more time with people in the faith. That's a good thing. But if you're not careful, we can become so homogenous that we, we, everyone around us thinks like us, speaks like us, everyone likes the same stuff that we like, and all of a sudden we lose our heart for lost people. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. It's a, it's a national travesty when the people who can see are no longer in relationship with people who are blind. It's a terrible thing and a sad day when those who are found people have no relationship with lost people. So you got to have relationships. And so you, some of you need to be, you got to be honest with yourself. you got to think right now, do you know lost people? And for some of you, the answer is yes, definitely. Others of you, it's no. I, I just don't, I don't have those relationships anymore. You must know lost people. So over time, we can break relationship and we can just be around Christian people. That happens. Over time, familiarity sets in. And with familiarity, hopelessness. You have people in your life right now that need Jesus and you have already begun to believe that it is impossible for them to come to Jesus because of what's happened in the past. You think too little of the power of God. Lost people are in your life for a reason. The great pastor D.L. Moody was once uh, preaching and he convinced 
a man who was in the audience who was a locomotive engineer of the importance of going into the world and sharing his faith. So after the sermon was done, this locomotive engineer came up to Dwight Moody and said to Pastor Moody, Pastor Moody, I feel the calling of God to take this good news, this gospel, to the ends of the earth. I'm ready. Here I am. Send me. And Moody looked at him and said, what do you do? And he said, I'm a locomotive engineer. And Moody says, oh, that's great. I have a question. You have a man that shovels coal in the, into the engine. Do you have a fireman? And Moody says, yeah. And the man, the locomotive engineer said, yes, I do. I do. And Moody said, is he a Christian? And the locomotive engineer said, you know, I don't know. And Dwight Moody said, start with him. Gosh, it's easy, right? We hear the beautiful things. we got our brother Mike West over here standing up. Great work for the Lord all over the world. You get excited, you hear that, that, that news, and you say, oh, man, I want to get involved. At some point he did. He said, i got to take this everywhere. I am for that. I hope that our church would raise up more people to take this news to the end of the world. But there are, there are brothers and sisters around the world that are sending Christians here. I'll never forget walking down the 3rd Street Promenade, meeting a missionary from India who tried to give me the gospel, tried to share Jesus with me. I said, what are you doing? He's like, I'm on a mission trip. From where? India. To where are you going eventually? Oh, no, I'm here. People in our world, in our city, need Jesus. And until your feet are on a plane or somewhere far away, the people in your life that are lost are the relationships God is calling you to invite into the kingdom of God. You have to have relationships. I uh, was talking to a buddy of mine who is in the Bay Area. He just loves Jesus and he loves marginalized people. And he started hanging out, sharing the gospel with homeless people. He started hanging out, sharing the gospel with students that were struggling. And then, like, he's got, he just is not ready. One day he gets a phone call and they say, hey, you should run for city council. And he goes, I don't, I don't, I, I have no experience doing that. I've never done anything like that. And they're like, everywhere you go, you bring the kingdom of God with you. You should run for city council. So yesterday, I was praying with him a couple days ago on the phone and just praying over him as he's just going, all I have is the kingdom and availability. And I'm like, that's great. Do we have that? Do we have relationships with people where we find ourselves going, look, it, I'm, I'm here. Look, I love this. This is what Philip has. He knows Jesus and he knows Nathaniel. It's a decent place to start. Jesus and lost people good place to start. you got to have relationships. And if you don't have them, do this. Here's two things to do. One, begin to pray. Lord, help me to share you in my life. Give me people and opportunities. Give me divine appointments to share my faith. And he will answer that prayer. You can't share your faith apart from him anyway. Not effectively anyway. So secondly, you need relationships. Third, you need 
to be equipped. You need equipping. Look again at verse 45 in John chapter 1. When Philip finds Nathanael, what does he tell him? He says this, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Notice that Philip goes to Nathanael. He's so excited. He goes to Nathanael. We found him. We found him. We found him. We found the one Moses was talking about. We found the one the prophets are talking about. Why does he do that? Because Philip knows what Nathanael is looking for. He doesn't just give Nathanael random information. He knows that Jesus is the Messiah. He's been invited in, and Andrew, a few verses previously, will share that news with his brother Simon. But here in this text, he says, hey, it's almost like they have been hanging out talking about, man, what about, wouldn't it be great if the one Moses like, wrote about showed up? Man, the one in the prophets that the prophets kept testifying about as the son of God. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be great if he showed up? And here comes Philip going, hey, Nathaniel, the one we're looking for is here. He is equipped to give Jesus to Nathaniel because he knows what Nathaniel is looking for. As I was writing this sermon, it became, and I think we're going to discover this, that for many of you, this is your biggest hiccup. It's very hard to share your faith with people who have no need of God. Right? You go to someone and you say, hey, I met God. And they say, I don't believe in God. And you go, oh, okay, hold on a second. i got to think about that now because I'm not equipped for this conversation. Hey, I've been forgiven of my sin. And someone says, I don't believe in sin. And you go, oh, okay, well, I guess now i got to figure out how do I explain sin because I don't believe in sin. Contextualization means that, and when we're in relationship with lost people, we have to know what it is they're looking for and help them understand how Jesus is the one they're looking for. G.K. Chesterton famously said, when a man knocks on the door of a brothel, he is looking for the love of God. If you don't, know, if you don't get that, you've got to really think time. About he's arguing, you've got to understand, when a man's knocking on the door at a brothel, what he's really, he might not know it, but what he's really looking for is the love of God. Often we don't feel equipped. We maybe are motivated, and maybe we have lost people. We're like, I don't even know where to begin. I knew a, a, a missionary um, who was in Africa sharing the gospel with a tribe, and they had some, uh, some Christian songs had developed in this African village. And the songs included um, that, that though our sins were like scarlet, he will wash them white as snow. And the African uh, villagers were suggesting, they were saying, we, you keep saying this, but we don't know what this means. We've never seen snow. And so they changed the lyrics to though our sins were dirty, you've made them white as milk. And hands went up, white as milk. 
white as milk. The purity of white milk, right? Like, like that was, for them, that was, they had seen, they had an image in their head that they could connect to. But talking to them about snow, you might as well be speaking another language. If you read the book of Acts, what you'll discover is that wherever the gospel goes, the disciples and the apostles and the early church are all bringing it to people who, one, believe in God or the gods, who, two, believe history has something to teach us, and who, three, believe that morality is objective, that there's real right and real wrong. Many of the people that you will share your faith with in this community, in this culture, in Los Angeles, do not share those three beliefs. And so many of you, I understand, you don't feel equipped. Our job is to help equip you. If you are not equipped, let me recommend for you this morning just a few places to get started. Here's a way to get equipped. My favorite simple gospel framing is called Two Ways to Live. If you write that down, you're taking notes, go out later today, read Two Ways to Live. Go to Two Ways to Live, you'll find a website. It's a great way of framing the gospel. It's where when I share my faith, I use it. Some of you maybe, if you've never heard of three circles, if you, three circles is a great way of sharing your faith. A, a small book by Greg Gilbert called What is the Gospel is a great, very small book to help you get your bearings around the gospel again. You want a larger book, a couple larger books that are great. One is going to be uh, uh, Speaking of Jesus by Styles. Another book is going to be um, Out of the Salt Shaker by, I think it's Pippert. These are just some books. I, I don't, I'm not saying that you got to go read, but I am saying if you don't have anything in your life, if you, if you have the motivation and you know lost people, you, you need to ask God to give you a heart for equipping. You need to take serious the importance of getting equipped. And here's some resources that will help you. But the other way that you got to get equipped, and this is one of my favorite questions. I might give this a gift. This is free. I'm not going to charge you for this one. Ask people this question in your life. Hey, what keeps you from following Jesus? And then just listen. Just listen. Listen for the reasons people will give you. Because you're not trying in that moment. You're not trying to save them. You're not trying to convert them. In that moment, you're trying to understand them. Because people are not our projects, but they are our mission field. And so asking the question for people in your life, hey, you're not a Christian, yeah? No, I'm not a Christian. Well, why not? Well, I don't know. I just, I don't believe in God. Oh, okay. Wow, all right. I haven't thought about that. And then spend time thinking about that and circle back with them. Hey, I've been thinking about how you don't believe in God. I've been praying for you. Have you thought about this? No, I haven't thought about that. And then you're into a you're into gospel conversations. In my home and family, we will sometimes walk around as a family, and I will, uh, I will encourage my kids, how do we get from where we're at into a gospel conversation? And I'll, I'll, my kids will pepper me, and we'll practice, and we'll mess around with each other and goof off, and it's good. If you want help in that, feel free to talk more to me. But my point is, you have to be equipped, because if you're motivated and you're relational, but you're not equipped, you won't know what to do. You need all three of those. And let me just comfort you here. Verse 46. 
Philip says, Nathaniel, we found him. And Nathaniel goes, we did, that's awesome. No, he does not say that. What does Nathaniel, Nathaniel says, Nazareth, Nazareth? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Skepticism is what he's met with. In the Bible, you have someone sharing their faith, met with skepticism. And listen to this response. Philip says what? Come and see. Let me give you these three words as a gift. Come and see. Hey, I don't know. Come and see. You want to know where? Where Philip got those three words from? If you're in the text of John 1 and you just look up just to verse 39, after two of the disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? Jesus says to them, come and you will see. It's almost like Jesus is saying to them, hey, hey, come and see, come and see. Sometimes that's all you got is come and see. But that's what it means for us to be a church that creates a culture of invitation. you got to have the right motivation. If you don't, you, you need the Lord to show you what he's done for you. And some of you, that's what you need this morning. You just don't know how good he's been. You don't know the promises he's made. You don't know how holy he is. You don't know what he did on the cross to redeem you. You don't know how good he's been to you. You don't know. You just haven't met him. And so, friends, if you're here this morning and you've heard about Jesus, but you don't know Jesus, my prayer for you this morning is that you would, through this sermon, through this text, today, gather together, you would meet God. You would sense that you're not here an accident, that he's knocking on the door of your heart, and he wants you to let him into your life to be your Lord and your Savior. Some of you this morning need to repent Repent of the fact that you have allowed Jesus to get in the back seat. You're, you've not given him, he's not Lord of your life. And make today the day that he is. Some of you need to begin to pray for and seek out relationships with lost people. Some of you need to focus on being equipped. Don't leave this morning without knowing what one, two, or three of these things do I need to get better at? Do I need, to, do I need in my life? Because, you, you know, you get, you got, hey, I, I am motivated and I'm equipped, but I don't know any lost people. Okay, you're isolated. You got to go meet some people. Hey, I am equipped and that's it. I'm just equipped. Okay, you're super intellectual. You need the gospel and you need lost people, right? You need, you literally need all three of these if we're going to create a culture of invitation. So every one of us must be about this work. Let me just end by speaking really briefly to those of you who are here this morning who are Nathaniels. You're skeptical. You're not sure. And you're here. And you're hearing this message. And you're, you're not sure where you stand with God. But you're here. I just want you to see verse 47. This is Nathanael's encounter with Jesus. Verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of Nathanael, here truly is an, is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Jesus sees Nathanael far away off and he goes, 
I know that guy. Verse 48, how do you know me? Nathaniel asked. And Jesus said, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. If you are here this morning and you are Nathanael, I want you to know something. Jesus knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows every mistake you've made, every lie you've told, every misdeed you've ever done. He searched your whole heart. He fully sees you. He knows the secrets that no one in this church or anyone in your life knows about. And where everyone in your life, if they knew the truth about you, would be slow to move forward in relationship with you. Maybe they'd turn their back on you. Maybe they'd reject you. Jesus sees all of you, and he says to you, I want all of it. I want all of you. Give it to me. I love you. I know you. I made you, and I'm calling to you. If you're here this morning and you're Nathaniel, I want you to know Jesus knows you. And he loves you. And he invites you this morning to turn away from the sins which have entangled your life. The things that are destroying your home. The things that are wrecking your job and your relationships. Turn away from those hidden sins. Confess. And find yourself embraced by the God who made you. The God who knows you. The God who loves you the God who has grace for you. If you have been transformed by the grace of God, give me an amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if we are going to be a church that has created a culture of invitation, we need to have a motivation that can only come from you. I pray, Lord, for those who are here this morning who are faking it. They're faking their Christian walk. They have, they have not tasted of your forgiveness and your goodness. They have no hatred of their sin. They do not love the things you love. You are not Lord in their life. And I pray this morning they would repent and they would invite you to become Lord of their life. I pray this morning for those who don't hate their sin but want to hate their sin. Give them the strength to do it as you draw them to yourself and help them to see that in you they are forgiven and they have life with you both now and forever. Lord, I pray for those who are so disconnected that they do not know lost people or they've become too familiar with them. Help them to be people who care about the salvation of those who do not know you, who are literally headed towards separation from you forever. Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart for the lost because you have a heart for the lost. You came to seek and to save, which means all of us need to be saved. So give us a heart for those who are floundering, who are in desperate need of salvation. 
And Lord, I pray that you would help get us equipped. Help us to practice sharing the gospel with one another. Help us to invite one another to pray for the lost people in our lives. Help us to read and take advantage of resources that were going to help us understand our neighbor so that we might reach our neighbor. Not because our neighbor is a project, but because we actually love our neighbor. And how can we say we love our neighbor if we withhold the greatest news in the world from them? And lastly, from, for those who are here this morning, Lord, who are Nathaniels, we pray that there would be some this morning who would hear you knocking at the door of their heart and they would run from their sin, they would run to you, they would let you in and they would allow you to be Lord and Savior. They would submit to you and you would transform their lives today and forever. Help us to be about all these things. We must be about all these things. Give us that gift, Father. It's in your name we pray.